0: Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. We are into our second week of a series called Reclaiming Revival, where we are looking at what it means for God to breathe life into areas and institutions that are dead and dying. I want to begin this week by talking about a story of revival. Susanna Wesley suffered from physical ailments. She had a marriage to a penniless preacher, and he was deeply dysfunctional. She lost 9 children in infancy and miscarriage, and raised 10 almost single-handedly. Their home was burned down, twice. Her husband was imprisoned, twice. And yet her simple, honest, persevering prayers undoubtedly changed the world. Her husband was the rector of Epworth Parish Church, and he was imprisoned for financial mismanagement. His replacement in the pulpit failed miserably. During that time, Susanna grew dissatisfied with her church and started her own Sunday school in her kitchen. It began with her 10 children, but soon neighborhood kids came and quickly she was leading over 200 people in prayer and Bible study in a local barn. Susanna would read Psalms, lead in songs and pray. Much of her spiritual longing was born out of her pain and crisis. She lost nine children She had to raise her children in shame of her husband being fired and imprisoned, a corrupt pastor. Two of her children, Charles and John, went on to become pastors themselves. In 1738, John Wesley sailed back home to England after a failed stint as a missionary to the American South. In his spiritual crisis, he began meeting with a Moravian pastor and leader who taught him to seek renewal in his own soul. And in a service one night, John recalls what happened in his own words. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldergate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. John Wesley, inspired by these prayer nights, gathered together his friends, his brother Charles and their friend George Whitfield, and they decided to commit themselves to seeking God. On January 1st, 1739, eight months after John's encounter with God, more than 60 people gathered together in a prayer night had the feel of a movement of God and a renewal in their spiritual life. Weeks later, George Whitfield invited John to join him in an open-air preaching. As he said, The fire is kindled in the country, and I know all the devils in hell shall not be able to quench it. They talk like that. Testimony spread from these outdoor services all throughout England, and thousands came to pray and hear the preaching of George, John, and Charles. George was the best preacher, but John was the organizer who turned a few services with power into a movement. They then partnered with abolitionists to remove slavery from England. They formed hospitals and orphanages and led tens of thousands to a new relationship with God in Jesus Christ. The movement spread to America, or the 13 colonies, and became known as the First Great Awakening. It resulted in some 80 million Methodists and more than 130 nations today. The wife of a disgraced minister who suffered through loss in her life chose hope and believed that God would work in word, deed, and power through her. Susanna Wesley became the mother of modern Methodism, one of the farthest reaching missional movements of the last 500 years. There are dozens of famous stories like this that we could tell and share today in this moment. Over 2,000 years and across every continent on the globe, we have seen people out of their own suffering choose hope and respond in passion. As Jesus Christ said, we should pray in this way. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I did not grow up appreciating good food. I didn't. Well into my 20s, I was the chicken fingers and french fry guy. That was me, I, I can admit who I am and who I was. I did not appreciate food. Pizza, chicken fingers. As I grew and into my 30s now, I love food from all over the world. And one of my favorite experiences is sharing a large good meal with friends and family, with laughter and with joy and with way too much coffee at the end of it and dessert. I now love Indian food and Mediterranean and food from all over the world. And actually two years ago, on a trip to Italy with my wife's family, I got to have one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. A friend of the family told us, hey, you're all going on vacation, I love all of you, and so I want you all to have one blowout meal on me and I want you to try your hardest to make it hurt. So go nuts and have fun. And we did. We're in Southern Italy and we had like five rounds of antipas and appetizers and soups and then the pasta dishes came and that was our second course and we ate pasta and we shared from each other's plates and we just kept eating then the main meals came and i had a ginormous steak and a bunch of sides we finished with two rounds of dessert from cannolis and italian cookies all the way to gelato and espresso and it was so much that i literally was walking back to our airbnb in a food coma if you had told 20 something me that loved chicken fingers and fries, that those sort of experiences were possible, I would have said, meh, whatever. I'm fine with what I have. So many of us have settled for what we have that we forgot to dream of what can be. And when it comes to revival, and even as I use this term, some of you may have an understanding of it where you said, eh, I don't know. But let me tell you, That when God moves in power and when he revives his people, it is an experience that you don't want to miss out on. It's an experience we can't even fathom until we are in the midst of it. Today, we are going to talk about the history of revival and we are going to define together what it means when we seek revival and we look for God to breathe life into what is dead and dying. Let's define revival. Last week, if you watched our series, we talked about why we need revival. We talked about hoping again. In revival, we see a passion for theology that actually changes us and gives our lives meaning, a holy discontent with suffering and brokenness in our world that leads to action, and a reminder. And demonstration that God is present and real in our lives. That God moves and reminds us he is here and present. If I take the word revival out and I talk about a holy discontent, a burden for God's people. A demonstration of God's power and presence that is real and reminds us that he's here. All along the same time that we fall in passion with the beauty of God's word and who he is. And I asked you if you wanted that you would most likely say, yeah, give me that. I want to fall more in love with scripture and see others fall in love with the character of God. I want a burden for other men and women around the world who are suffering and the ability to do something about it. I want to see God move in our midst and have reminders that he is real and active. When we talk about revival, this is what we're looking for. This is what we're expecting three theologians and their definitions of revival. We're going to build on each of these until we come to the core definition we're going to walk in. We're going to begin with Tim Keller, a personal spiritual hero of mine and my wife's, and I'm going to look at a definition he has of revival. Tim defines revival as this, a season in which a whole body of believers experience gospel renewal together. Season, so Temporal, it's a movement of a certain time and God's people are together communally seeing renewal. They're being renewed and revived in their fervor and passion. Okay. Now let's look at Richard Lovelace and his definition. He defines revival as a broad scale movement of the Holy Spirit's work in renewing spiritual vitality in the church and in fostering its expansion in mission and evangelism. So he takes mostly Tim Keller's definition, agrees with, but then he adds to it this missional component that the revival drives us outside of the walls of the church and in greater mission for others. And now let's add, finally, Mark Shaw's definition to kind of round this out. Mark Shaw adds a societal effect and impact on our culture. Global revivals are charismatic people movements that transform their world by translating Christian truth and transferring power. And so now the revival also uh, impacts the world around us. And these three together distill into our definition, which is revival, a season of breakthroughs in word, deed, and power that ushers in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. There are three components, a season, and then how it takes shape in word, deed, and power. And then finally, it's transformative work to usher in a new kingdom experience and fruitfulness. Let's break each of these down, and we're gonna teach and walk through what they look like today. First, let's talk about a season of breakthrough. And I wanna begin by talking about my marriage and to my wife, Caitlin. There are two components to how we develop intimacy with each other. The first is faithfulness. It's life together, day in and day out. As I've shared before, during the pandemic, we developed this weird little habit of watching way too much Survivor, but this is a part of it. It's sitting on a couch with our cat, eating snacks, watching Survivor, sharing life together. It's getting up in the morning and wishing each other well, reminding each other that we love one another before going to work. It's coming back home and sharing dinner and talking about our days together, hearing each other, feeling understood by one another. But it's also about the moments of breakthrough in our relationship, the fight that's sort of been building underneath that leads to a breakthrough of understanding with one another where we can be vulnerable and emotional and come to greater vision of truth of who each other is or the romantic moments of a dinner at a French restaurant, or a weekend away, a vacation trip, where there is beauty and there is intimacy and it is romantic and special. All relationships involve these two components, the faithfulness side of it and the romantic moment side of it. Just a faithful relationship without any breakthroughs in romance and in intimacy is pretty boring. A relationship that's like your first teen years together and it's all breakthroughs and it's all romantic moments is not gonna last and it's gonna be chaotic and hurtful. It's the balance of faithfulness and seasons of breakthrough. Revival for us is the season of breakthrough and it's not the whole life and you don't sustain a revival and try to make it happen and keep it going. You take the grace of that season, the breakthroughs that come with it, and you embrace them. Acts chapter 2 is famous for being a biblical example of revival. And Acts 2 verses 40 through 47 is a famous paradigm that we talk about for revival. I'm going to read a few of these verses and we'll look at this. Acts chapter 2 verses 40 through 43. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. It's good revival preaching, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I'm going to tell you, this might surprise you, this is not a revival. This is not a revival. This is a moment of dramatic outpouring. This is a fantastic service. This is a great start. This is a moment of breakthrough. It is not a season of breakthrough yet. But we know Acts chapter 2 as a revival season because... In Acts chapter 3, a week later, there are continued healings and outpouring from the Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, there's people additionally filled with the Holy Spirit and His presence. In Acts chapter 5, there are supernatural interventions over the disciples. In Acts chapter 6, there's a move of justice for ethnic minorities. And then Acts continues on and on as a movement in a season of breakthroughs. We understand Acts as a season of revival because it is a prolonged period of time, a special moment of breakthroughs for the church and for the community. A revival is a season. Could be a few months, could be a few decades. It doesn't last forever, and it can't be manufactured. You flow in the special moment of breakthrough and the romantic desire of God meeting with his people and transforming us. So the first step of revival is it is a season of breakthroughs. It is a special moment of us realizing our sin, being filled with all of God's presence and power, and his move among us for a period of time. Second, a revival operates in word, deed, and power. Oftentimes, our recollection of revivals is simply the power component, but every revival has these three aspects, word, deed, and power. Paul teaches us a little bit about the completeness of these three in a statement he gives to the Roman church before he heads there. He says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 19, about his ministry. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Elysium. What does fully present mean? What does it mean that he fully presented or fully proclaimed the gospel? It means that He did the complete work of the gospel, not just teaching and not just demonstrating power and not just helping people with physical needs, but that he fully completed what the expression of revival and the gospel is. He proclaimed theology and he built churches to understand scripture and who God is in Jesus Christ. He fed the poor and repeatedly he collects offerings and takes them to churches and cities in need. And then he operates in power. Power flows out of Paul. There are healings and miraculous signs, and he even brings one person back from the dead. Paul has all three of these aspects in his life. And so we can see it as a basic Venn diagram in this image right here. One of them is word, one of them is deed, and another is power. And in the middle of all three, in the overlap, is what they're bound together in, and that's love. Love is at the heart of, and is the beginning of, and is the expression of all three of these. Let's break each one down. Word. What do we mean when we say that a revival operates in word? It is the expression of the gospel through teaching and preaching, through Bible study and discussion, falling more in love with the character and person of Jesus as revealed in scripture, understanding the character of God and his whole entire Arc from Genesis to Revelation and discovering the beauty of who he is. The Wesleys and their revival movement started here. It started at the word. They were great preachers and teachers leading in Bible study and sharing theology. Revivals bring us back to a renewed passion of the study of God's word, a renewed passion for the beauty of good theology, of who God is and his character. Too much word leads to dryness. It's not that fun. It's just a long Bible study of someone teaching me complicated theological systemic ideas. At best, word without deed or power is boring. At worst, it's judgmental and mean. Now let's talk about deed. Deed is the expression of the gospel in compassion and justice. The Franciscan revival under St. Francis, they started here with compassion for the poor and caring for those who were ill and wounded. Actually, many historians theorize that St. Francis himself, he died young and probably had a physical ailment for most of his life, which gave him great compassion for other people sick and unwell. Deed is the renewal of care for the world. The renewal of the burden that there are billions of people lost and dying without experiencing the love of God in Jesus Christ. It's the renewal of the burden for men and women who are hurt by injustice, who are hurt by having less, who are food insecure and vulnerable, and a burden to help them and show them the love of God. It's getting involved outside of the church building. A revival needs to take place, not just in the room, in a church, in a movement, but it must overflow outside of the building and outside of the community into your neighborhoods and into the culture. It's conversations with those at the mall and in your lives and at your job. It is involvement in community affairs and bringing the love of God into it. It is working with those who are vulnerable. It's getting into the community. It's also fighting for justice. But deed without word or power can often just become anger. Anger that the world is the way it is. Anger that injustice happens. And at best, you're a social justice warrior. At worst, you view those as evil and lost who also need grace and compassion. Which brings us into power. Power, the expression of the gospel in miraculous and supernatural ways, the tangible recognition of the presence of God. The Pentecostal movement at the beginning of the 20th century under William Seymour is the embodiment of a revival that began in power. Prayer and wonders and miraculous works and people speaking languages that others didn't understand, like Acts chapter 2, it began with power. Miraculous work, signs and wonders, passionate prayer where people are healed, where miracles happen, where prophetic words are given and insights and encouragement bolstered. It is prayer and it is insight. But power without word or deed is just loud and chaotic and emotional. All three of these are components in every spiritual revival. And even though the Wesleyans, the Franciscans, and the Pentecostals, all of them began at one of those three, all of them moved to the center of having all three as a part of them. The Franciscans were known also for having prayer movements where people were laid out as if dead. The presence of God was so heavy on them. The Wesleyans partnered with the abolitionists and worked together to build hospitals. The Pentecostals became impassioned about scripture and teaching and starting churches and Sunday schools. A revival has word, deed, and power. And they all must be bound together in love. As Paul, who operates in all three of these, teaches, as we see in Romans, has deed as he cares for the poor, has power as miraculous signs work through him, he tells us about the priority of love at the center of a movement in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says it like this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Word, deed, and power bound together in love, beginning with the love of Jesus poured out to us on the cross, and being completed with the love of his image bearers, men and women around us and in our community. Love binds it together. Finally, and lastly, it ushers in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. In the church that I've been pastoring in, I remember one beautiful and and bittersweet conversation. It was with a church member um, who had been a part of the church for a long time and they came up to me after a sunday service excited and full of life and they said pastor brian they were part of the prayer team he said after service i was praying with this young man at the altar and as i was praying with him i just felt the holy spirit put on my heart that i should lead him in a prayer of salvation i should ask him if he knows jesus and so i did i asked him if he knew jesus he said he didn't i said would you like to he said yeah So I led him in prayer and he gave his life to Jesus. And isn't that wonderful? I said, that's awesome. And we gave a hug. And then she said, Pastor Brian, that's the first time I've ever done that. And while the beauty of that experience was there and evident, the sadness of someone being a part of the church for 40 or 50 years and never leading someone to Jesus, never praying someone through that transformation and that joy and not being a part of it, This is what the difference of a revival, a season of breakthroughs in word, deed, and power can lead to, a new understanding of normal. Where normal is, nobody raises their hand for salvation. The normal is, nobody brings a new person or a non-Christian into our services. The normal is, yeah, we do baptisms, but it's just our children who are now at the age to be baptized, where the new normal is, Every week, I expect someone to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Every week, I expect someone to go from being dead to alive. Every week, I expect someone who doesn't know the love of God and Jesus Christ to come and see their value through God's eyes and experience the love of Jesus. It is coming in with a new normal expectation that we are in our community, sharing love and power into them, that we see baptisms, we see families restored, and this becomes our normal expectation of who we are. It's a new transformation of kingdom experience and fruitfulness, expecting salvations, expecting baptisms, expecting society to be able to change, expecting hope again, learning to believe as Susanna Wesley had every reason in the world to give up on church, every reason in the world to give up on the word and teaching, every reason not to expect deed and power to happen in her life, her husband, a moral failure, the church bringing in someone who couldn't do the job, her own suffering through the loss of life of her children, but instead out of that crisis was born hope. And she chose to believe that there was a new normal And that as Jesus taught us to pray, his kingdom could come and his will could be done here in our lives as it is in heaven. I was called into ministry when I was 17 years old at a youth retreat. It was at an altar a weekend away, a long experience with God um, set aside. And in that, I felt renewal in my life. I felt a renewal of my calling. I felt a renewal of my purpose in life. And then I grew up and I stopped doing moments like that. I stopped retreating away. I stopped coming together in passionate prayer meetings. And I thought of that just as something that I do as a teen or that we do when we're young and full of energy. Revival happens when we believe that seasons of breakthrough in word, deed, and power that bring on a new understanding of kingdom experience and fruitfulness are possible in our lives today. And we gather together and we seek that season and we expect that season and we seek Jesus to renew us and to revive us again. Let's embrace this and walk forward in it. Next week, we're going to talk about a sacred, grievous moment or a burden of this world to change. Then we're going to talk about it beginning with ourselves individual renewal and that may take weeks months or years to happen in our heart before we see it in others and then finally coming together and uniting behind this idea of god breathing life into what is dead and dying i want to give you a chance just to meditate briefly today on this idea and what revival means for you and for our future together if you'll take a moment and posture yourself and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you in this moment. As we meditate, as we invite the Holy Spirit to speak, as we pray, I wanna ask you a couple questions to sort this out. The first is, where has the romantic seasons of life in the presence of God been for you? Where have you had moments of kindled fire for God's presence or an intimate experience with who He is? Have you ever had that experience? Pray that the Holy Spirit gives you a longing for it again or a longing to experience it for the first time, a tangible season of breakthrough and transformation. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with a desire for that again and to remind you of what that was like. Take a moment. As we talk about word, deed, and power, which of those three resonates with you the most? That's most likely where Jesus is going to begin this in you. Is it in word and the preaching of God's scripture and theology? Is it indeed a burden for others and a desire to be active? Or is it in power to see a demonstration of God's presence tangibly in your life? Which one of those three resonates with you the most and ask God to continue to kindle a fire for that and to look for that and to seek God to move in that area of your life. Lastly, I'll ask you the same question that we went through in the last session. Where do you want to see revival? In your life personally and in the community of Pennington AG Church or the believers you are a part of, where do you want to see revival in your life? And seek God for that and and put that in your mind and ask the Holy Spirit to focus you on where you want to see revival. Lastly, if you're watching this today, you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with God, all this revival stuff sounds cool, but you're unfamiliar. I wanna give you a chance just to begin with one step, one step of belief, one step of faith in God and who he was and is in Jesus Christ. And I wanna offer you a chance just to pray a prayer with me and this will begin a moment of salvation, begin a transformation of new life, renewal and resurrection for you. Pray this with me, Jesus, in this moment, I am seeking you for revival of my heart, my soul, my eternity. May your resurrection instill in me a faith and belief in my own resurrection through you and with you. Jesus, I believe that you lived on this earth as God and man that you taught for 33 years about the kingdom of God and about your character. I believe on the cross, you died in my place for my sin, my shame, and you buried my sin in the ground. And on the third day, you raised from the dead, resurrected with new life, and by you, I can live a full resurrected life and have eternity with you. You gave your life for me, Jesus. Today I give my life for you. Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church as we are pursuing revival and reclaiming the term for God to breathe life into the areas of our life and society that is dead and dying.